Paul that wasn't on the uh, waiting list. Yeah, what's your name? I'm sorry. Yeah. And then Stephen Arnold. Stephen Arnold. Okay. Yeah, let's take a look and see how things work out. So hopefully this is where you think you're supposed to be. It's kind of fuzzy. Can I uh, bother you to get up for a second so I can... you're in the right place. Dana Layton's class, Psych 201A. Hopefully you intend to be at Portland Community College. If not, you're in a really wrong place. Um, one of the things that I like to try to find out from my students is who they are. Um, I can make a, a pretty broad array of assumptions about you. Um, that's something you'll talk about in social psychology, which is addressed in the um, second quarter of this class. But uh, one of the things we do is we make certain assumptions about people based on what? What kinds of things do we look at? I'm sorry? What they do for a living? Appearance? Frequently? I think you need one more. Age, good. What's that? The way they act. Their backgrounds. We may not know their backgrounds from looking at them. Um, the gender, absolutely. We're going to have a lot of expectations of behaviors based on gender. Okay. So I'm going to have you um, tell me a little bit about you so that I don't have to make quite so many assumptions. I also use these index cards to, uh, you're welcome, for um, attendance on certain occasions. And what I'd like you to do is to fill in some basic information about you. This is going to help me to remember who you are. Uh, much to your chagrin, it will take me probably three or four weeks at a minimum to learn your names, so don't feel uh, slighted if I don't know your name. It's not personal. It's just who I am. Uh, first, I'd like to have your name on there so that I can put a name to all these characteristics. Um, I'd like to know what program you're in. So some of you are in a university transfer program. Some of you might be in uh, an associate's degree, for example or a diploma program or certificate program, whatever that is. What do you do in your spare time? That helps me to kind of get a little more uh, personal picture of who you are and connect that with your name. I'd like to know why you're taking this course. Uh, for some of you, it's a requirement for your degree or your certificate program. Uh, for others, maybe it's a social science requirement. For some others, maybe you're just curious. Um, you don't necessarily have to take this course, but you're just interested. And for a relatively few number of you, probably, 
um, you may actually be interested in psychology uh, as a profession or as a major in uh, college, and I'd like to know if that's the case. What that does as I review these over the next few days, it'll give me a better idea of kind of some of the areas that I want to focus more or less on as I go through the uh, go through the course. Okay. Um, while you're doing that, I'll tell you a little bit about who I am. Um, my name is Dana Layton. Uh, I'm a full-time instructor in psychology here at the college. I've been here since, this is my second year here, so I started here one year ago. Before that, I was in South Carolina in a rural uh, part of South Carolina, a very different cultural milieu, um, very different set of students in a lot of ways, uh, but very similar in a lot of other ways. Um, you have a lot more similarities, for example, with students in South Carolina than you do with faculty in Oregon, right? A lot of your concerns are going to be more similar, and they're going to be part of your in-group, and that's something you'll talk about in social psychology. So I won't get too much ahead of myself. Um, I uh, have my master's degree in social psychology, if you didn't guess already. Um, from the University of British Columbia in Vancouver, Canada. Uh, I finished there in 2004. Before that, I did my undergraduate degree at a tiny liberal arts college, um, 1,400 students out in a place that the New York Times referred to as one of the most remote places in the country. Um, it's a college called Whitman College in Walla Walla, Washington. The town's so nice, they named it twice. No, that's actually New York City, not Walla Walla, but they try to say it is. Um, so I did my degree in psychology there. Uh, before that, I took an associate's degree um, at Sierra College, which is a community college in California. Um, and I spent a fair amount of time in the community college system in California, probably a total of about four years to do my two years of undergraduate. So I uh, worked part time, went to school part time, did a lot of had a lot of the stressors and strains that a lot of you are going through uh, as community college students, trying to balance life and academics and everything else. So uh, I have a pretty good perspective of what it's like to be a student at a community college. I was born in New England, um, Connecticut, to be precise. Um, went to high school in Massachusetts and then moved to California. And so about half of my life I was in New England and about half in California um, before I um, went up to Walla Walla for uh, undergraduate, finished my degree. Um, I did my, I had my, took my bachelor's degree in 2001. So those of you who are astute and maybe not that bad at mathematics can probably figure out that I didn't finish my bachelor's degree when I was 22 like the traditional student. So um, I actually started at the community college when I was 30 and uh, uh, started my uh, graduate degree when I was 37, so um, 
I took a little different route. That's because I tried to go to a four-year school when I was 18 or 19, um, right out of high school. And uh, I went for a computer science degree because that's what I was doing at the time. I had, I just, I just had an ability with computers. And so I was actually working as a software developer, computer programmer, before uh, I went to college as part of a high school like co-op work experience kind of thing. And decided, well, I might as well go to college. I don't have anything better to do. So I went to college in uh, upstate New York at a place called Utica College. And uh, as a result of a lot of um, issues in my life, uh, I left there after a year uh, with a 1.62 GPA. I actually wound up withdrawing from all my classes, but that's another story altogether. So um, I wasn't quite ready. I think we were both mutually decided that we weren't ready for each other. They weren't ready for me, and I wasn't ready for them. Uh, plus, I um, joined a fraternity and um, spent, um, yeah, yeah, yikes. And uh, I, didn't, um, I didn't know it at the time, but I had a pretty severe substance abuse problem. Um, and I also had an undiagnosed learning disability at the time that I didn't know about. So there were, I had a lot of factors working against me. So I flunked out my first year in college and then spent, uh, I didn't go back to the community college again for like 12 years. I mean, that uh, intervening time, I had a, what you might call a successful career as a software uh, developer, computer uh, programming and uh, design consultant. So this is actually my second career. Um, my first career, as it turns out, I was working too little and making too much money. So I figured I had to switch it around for my second career where I work <laughs> too much and make too little money. So I decided to be an instructor, professor. Um, the reason that I tell all these kind of stories is not because I like to talk about myself, although I do. Um, uh, everybody does. Um, it's because some of you may be in a similar situation. That is, um, you find yourself in college courses and not doing particularly well and not necessarily knowing why. And um, there may be some factors working against you that you want to look at in your life. Um, plus, the idea that uh, in Native American philosophy, there's something which is known as right time. Um, uh, different cultures have different perspectives of time. This particular culture has a very sort of linear perspective of time where everything happens sequentially and um, time doesn't sort of go backwards and forwards. Uh, but other cultures don't necessarily see time that same way. Um, anyway, Native American philosophy has this idea of right time, that things occur in right time. Um, and so uh, that wasn't right time for, um, for doing college for me. And so I had to find the right time, and the right time turned out to be quite a bit later. So if you find yourself in the same situation, there's hope maybe. You can become a college professor. I don't recommend <laughs> no, It's not that bad. It's a good job. It's a good job. 
I really enjoy it. Um, I enjoy research and I enjoy um, teaching. So. Um, so uh, I'll collect those cards and pass them up. Do you have any questions about me or maybe about your fellow students? Yeah. Do I still do software development? No. Um, what I essentially decided was uh, I had been doing, for 15 years, I had been developing software for um, taking orders, tracking inventory, um, accounting, um, and really, here's the deal. You can only do that, you can only design an order entry and order processing and inventory tracking and integrated systems so many times until it just becomes the same thing over and over again. Um, you know, you're just in a different business with slightly different needs, but essentially underlying the system is the same stuff. And it just became boring, really. So, uh, and I went through a major life transition also at 30, which was that I had to divorce. And so my self-identity really went through a big change at that time. And we can talk more about that when we talk about identity. But, um, so uh, I really had to do a lot of uh, self-analysis and figure out who I was outside of being a husband. And so um, I, uh, through a long process, it turned out that um, people were just much more interesting than computers. So I haven't really been tempted to go back and do that. Plus, uh, software development and computers um, have kept moving and advancing, and my skills are, are back um, 10 years ago. So um, a lot has changed in 10 years. So. I I would have a difficult time really catching up now if I wanted to. Yeah. Yep. Question. Yep. How shall we address you? Good question. How shall uh, we address you? Well, um, you can call me Dana. Uh, you could call me Mr. Layton if you're not into the whole brevity thing. Anybody? Okay, a couple. Uh, um, you get a couple people that pick up that reference. Uh, it's from The Big Lebowski, if you're not familiar with it. Um, so you can call me Danny, you can call me Mr. Layton, you can call me uh, Master Layton. Uh, if, you know, you're into the anime thing, you might call me Sensei. Layton Sensei, yeah. Uh, but you can't call me Dr. Layton because I don't have a doctorate degree. I'm not a doctor. I am a master, though. I'm a master of arts. So, uh, yeah, Dana's fine, or Mr. Layton, or you can pretty much call me anything, and I'll answer to it, yeah. Anything else? Oh, no, I didn't. Um, huh. Thanks. <laughs> that, that depends on what I call you. Yeah, yeah. Okay. No, I'm uh, 44. Um, okay, good. 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 Please do. Um, yeah, you know, and different places, like in South Carolina, I noticed students were 
very uncomfortable calling me by my first name. They were much more comfortable addressing me um, more formally. What's that? I'm sorry. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And yeah, I picked that up as dialect when I was there, um, and I still use it now uh, occasionally. I'll say yes, sir, yes, ma'am, and people kind of look at me funny. But sorry about that. Yeah. What's that? You could call me professor. Um, that's fine. Yeah, because I do profess. <laughs> I profess way too much sometimes. <laughs> Um, but you'll let me know, I'm sure. Um, okay, so find out who you are. Found out a little bit about who I am. Uh, now I'll give you a bit of a picture of the course itself. So uh, what I'm passing out is the uh, syllabus for the course. Essentially, what? Uh, whoops! How did I go back? So essentially, what the um, syllabus is going to have is how I teach the class, my philosophy for uh, teaching the class, how it runs, how it um, functions. Uh, hopefully, you'll agree that it functions pretty well. Um, what are some of my expectations? What kinds of assignments you'll have? and how I'm going to assess your performance in the class. So um, let me talk a little bit about each section. First of all, at the top is the course uh, catalog description and prerequisites. That's basic information from the catalog. Uh, then I've got a section about how to contact me, how to get a hold of me. Um, and on the second page is the course overview which basically gives you a picture of what the course is going to be like, uh, what my expectations are in the course. I give you uh, six goals that I hope to fulfill in the, in the course of the uh, class. Um, and those are just sort of basic goals about how we're going to go through doing that. And then uh, page three has how we'll accomplish those goals. I talk about the textbook, um, the idea that we have long classes, um, how you're going to go about practicing critical thinking. This isn't a memorization course. You'll actually be doing some thinking too. Um, and actually the idea that you're actually going to even be practicing being a scientist or doing science in class. So um, that's one of the fundamental things that um, 
students don't always understand about psychology is that it's a science and it's um, uh, just like any other science. You have to really do it to learn how it works. Grading and assignments is on page three. Uh, we will have uh, three exams in this course, uh, two midterms essentially and then one final exam. Um, I talk about um, exam absences. Uh, I don't have any makeup exams, but um, I take care of exam absences uh, through another mechanism, which I'll talk about in a second. Reading quizzes. Um, almost every chapter, I'll give you a 10 question reading quiz. The reading quiz does a couple of things for me. For one thing, it for some people, they need that kind of encouragement to actually keep up on the reading. Otherwise, they'll fall behind and they'll wind up trying to read all the chapters before the midterm and it's not going to work very well. Mm -hmm. So for some people, it helps them kind of be motivated to keep up on the reading. Uh, it also is a diagnostic tool. Uh, it gives you an idea of whether you're having trouble with the reading. If you see that your reading quiz performance is suffering, then you may have some issues. And so I can keep track, as well as you, of whether you're tracking the reading well. Um, the reading quizzes are, um, they don't actually affect your grade unless you have a low exam score. If one of your exam scores is lower than the average of your reading quiz scores, then what happens is your reading quiz score uh, uh, supersedes that low exam score. So it's like insurance, right? If you keep up on the reading, if you do well on the reading quizzes throughout the course, and let's say you've got you know 70% on the reading quizzes, and you happen to have bombed one of the exams because you're having a bad day and got 40%, uh, that 70% from the reading quizzes is actually going to um, substitute for that low exam score. So it's a way of allowing you to, um, uh, to actually have uh, the opportunity to, to make up for that. Yeah, the average of the reading quizzes, yeah, yeah. And um, in addition, the reading quizzes, what else do I use them for? I think that's it. Oh, uh, what we know from learning is that studying is not the best way to learn material, oddly enough. Um, what we find from research is repeated testing actually results in better learning than repeated study, right? So studying, testing, maybe restudying, testing, those things tend to help more than just kind of repeated studying. So that's one way for me to get you to do some uh, testing before you do uh, too much more studying. It allows you to integrate that material well. Um, the reading quizzes are a little bit different because I allow you to use um, notes that you take while you're reading. So that also encourages you to do more active studying rather than passive studying. So passive studying could be, well, I read through the book and I highlight the things that I think are important and I get to the chapter and that's it. 
And so all you've got at the end of the chapter is really a book with some highlighting in it, which may or may not be useful to you. Uh, for a lot of people, um, what makes more sense in terms of studying is engaging more with the reading. So um, in terms of the reading notes, when I encourage you to take notes while you're reading and actually bring those notes in and use them when you're taking the quizzes, I'm trying to encourage you to actually think about what's being said in the textbook, maybe paraphrase it onto your notes. And that takes it from the textbook knowledge and puts it in your own terms. So it makes it um, a lot more your learning. I can't teach you psychology. None of your instructors can teach you anything. We can facilitate your learning, right? We can help you understand material, but you know, ultimately it's you and your activities that are going to result in the learning, right? Um, so uh, if you have to miss an exam, here's the deal. Your final exam is a cumulative exam. About half the material will come from the last uh, few chapters of the textbook. The other half the material will be the major concepts you learned in the prior chapters. Uh, if you have to miss one of the two uh, midterms, then um, the score on your final exam will replace that missed uh, midterm score. But I will encourage you not to um, miss a midterm unless you really need to, because um, it's a bit of a gamble um, if you get to the final and you don't do so well. Yeah? If you get two bad scores in your midterm, and you get a good score in your quizzes, <coughs> you So uh, let's say you bombed your first exam. In fact, I think that's how I did the example here. You didn't do so well in the first exam. You missed the second exam. Yeah, the final exam will replace the missed exam. The average of the quiz scores will replace the... Uh, the low exam score. Yeah. Uh, then, then there's not much going to help you on that second. Whatever your lowest exam. Um, that's one strategy. <laughs> yep. If you know that you're going into a midterm with a particularly low, um, you know, let's say you had to spend a week in the hospital and you know you're pretty likely you're going to do poorly on the midterm you might decide to skip it and take your chances on the final. Um, yeah, that's a strategy, but it, it can uh, backfire too. So, you know, let's say you get sick before the final, then you're, you're, out of, you're totally out of the water, yeah. Um, critical thinking. Um, we're going to be using a workbook, which I'll talk about in a second, which will help um, with your critical thinking skills. And you'll also be writing a short paper, uh, I think about three pages, which uh, is, um, I think you won't find particularly challenging, but it'll, it'll help um, strengthen your critical thinking skills. But I'll talk a little bit about that when we talk about the workbook. Um, page five talks about uh, class participation. Basically, um, I will be assigning part of your score as a participation score, and that has two components. One is my subjective evaluation of your contribution to a learning community. 
you know, we're all here as part of a learning community and we're all here to sort of help each other learn. And to what degree do you contribute to that? Um, and that'll be part of your participation score. The other part of your participation score will be your um, participation in three laboratory sessions. And these are actually going to be experiments that we'll run here in class looking at um, psychological phenomena. Um, and so being here is critical for that. So that's why it's part of your participation score. Um, although it's also going to develop your critical thinking skills and your ability to understand experimentation and the process of experimentation. Um, anything else? What's on page six? Sorry. Oh, attendance. Um, I don't have a strict attendance policy. Uh, if you have a pattern of um, low attendance in the class, that will affect your participation score, obviously, because you can't be part of a learning community if you're not here. Um, and if you're going to be late, uh, please you know, be as quiet as possible, as little uh, disruption as possible when you come in. Uh, similarly, if you have to leave early, please let me know. Um, because I have my own sort of insecurities and somebody gets up in the middle of while I'm talking about something and leaves, then that's going to start my my little um, self-critical voice going. It's going to start telling me that I said something awful that really pissed them off and um, why? how could I possibly do that and what a loser am I, right? And that doesn't do anybody any good. So just let me know if you have to leave early so I don't start that self-critical evaluation. It's not that bad, but I, I exaggerate. Uh, cell phones and technology. Um, I've got a little blurb on there about that, so I'll leave you to read that. Um, please read the syllabus at your leisure between now and the next class. And if you have questions before the next class, let me know. Um, the second thing I need to give you is the calendar for the course. So the calendar is separate. The reason I make the calendar separate is because the calendar changes. Um, I plan to do certain things on certain dates in this class, but there are situations that arise that throw those plans awry. So um, sometimes I have to make revisions. If I do make a revision to the calendar, I will let you know uh, usually by email uh, and usually in class. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in fact, who already has the email from me that I sent? Um, like a week ago, I sent an email to everybody in the, that was registered at that time. Um, well, I sure had enough of these. Um, those of you who don't have a syllabus, I'll get that for you when we take a break in a second here. So the course calendar has uh, four columns, five columns really. First one is uh, the week number. I used to put dates on here, but... Uh, 
It's a real drag every term having to change all the dates. So I just went to week numbers. You can write in the dates if you want to. Um, what topic we're going to cover in each class period of that week. So for example, this is a Tuesday-Thursday class. So the Tuesday class is the introduction. The Thursday class will talk about history and systems uh, in psychology. Um, what reading assignments are due to be prepared for that class? So uh, you will want to, for Thursday's class, read the course syllabus and uh, read chapter one. Do your best at getting chapter one done uh, by then, uh, but I know that um, it's a short window to read that much material. So, um, uh, Any exercises or things we're going to do in class, handouts that I'm going to distribute, and then any quizzes or exams or papers that are due. Now you'll notice that for Thursday, next class, you will have a reading quiz on the course syllabus. Why do I do a reading quiz on the course syllabus? Everybody hates reading quizzes on the course syllabus. Um, for the most part, it's just to make sure that you actually do read the syllabus. Uh, although, I'm not particularly concerned that you actually memorize everything on the syllabus. That's not my intent. So um, what I'll be doing is I will, uh, on that reading quiz and that reading quiz alone, uh, I will allow you to actually use the syllabus during the quiz. Um, and at, at the very least, if you don't read the syllabus in between now and then, it'll get you used to where to go to find the information that I think is critical on the syllabus. So, mm -hmm. uh, so please do read it um, and be prepared to take a little quiz. So pretty much everybody will ace that quiz. So that you're already starting out with a pretty good quiz average right there. Okay. Um, any questions on that stuff? Um, let me talk about the uh, textbooks. I sent out an email last week because the textbook selection in this class is somewhat complex. It's only the only reason it's complex is I'm using a um, a workbook uh, along with the major textbook. So the textbook is going to be the same as some of the other sections of this course that are taught here. It looks like this, Lefton and Brannan's Psychology, ninth edition, and. Um, You'll, you will find the paperback version of this. Now, there's two ways you can buy this book. You can buy this book used, or you can buy it new. If you buy it used, you're also going to have to buy the second book, um, which is the workbook, the James Bell uh, Evaluating Psychological Information. This is what we're going to be using for developing your critical thinking skills. Now, um, if you buy the book new, what I did is I made a deal with the publisher for them to put these two together in a bundle, which is shrink-wrapped together at the bookstore. And if you buy that bundle, the price of the bundles, I think maybe five or six dollars more than the price of the used textbook and the new uh, workbook. You can't buy the workbook used at the bookstore. You may be able to find it online. So uh, just make sure you have both of those. What you don't want <coughs> What you don't want is this. 
take this back. Return it. I will be doing that. Um, this is the grade aid uh, study guide. Now, some of the bundles at the bookstore have this together with the textbook. That's the wrong bundle for this class. Why do I say, don't buy this and take it back? Because it's a mess. I had a couple of astute students uh, in one of my sections uh, last year who started making lists of incorrect answers in the answer keys. Uh, and so I went back to the publisher and I said, this is junk. Students um, can't rely on the answers in the answer key. That's kind of a good thing, though. Why? It shows that they're being, they're analyzing what they're learning. Don't trust the answer key. If you get an answer wrong, go back and figure out why you got it wrong. That's going to result in better learning than going, oh, I got the answer wrong, the answer is really this, and then memorizing that. Okay? So it's kind of a good thing that there are some errors in the answer keys. But I consider it a poor um, use of your money if you have to spend money on it. So uh, what the publisher agreed to do is to, uh, they had some other, they noticed some other problems, they went through and did some proofreading, and they actually corrected the study guide, but it hasn't been published. But I have a, um, uh, I have a, a Word document that has the entire contents of the study guide that I'll be giving you for free. So that'll save you the money of the um, of buying the study guide. Okay. What's that? The workbook. You can buy it separately. Yep. Yep. Oh, there were a couple of used ones. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, they're not always, yeah, sometimes they make mistakes. We're not all perfect. Uh, now, um, so the, I'm surprised the workbooks are available used. Um, although I suppose that there may be some people who buy them and then wind up never using them and then can return them. Uh, but they have pages that you're going to be tearing out and um, submitting to me. Now, if you so choose, you can make photocopies of the pages you need to submit to me. But there's also exercises uh, that you'll also want to use. So you'll wind up making a lot of photocopies. So it probably isn't worth your while. By the time you're done with the cost of photocopying and the few dollars that you'll get for it used, um, you might as well use the workbook and submit those pages, most likely. Um, so as I said, uh, this workbook has chapters in it. So chapter one is an introduction to critical thinking, and it's got some information about critical thinking. Please read the chapters. What will happen is uh, you'll read the first chapter and you go, this is so simple. Why would anybody need to read this stuff? And then you'll get to the second chapter and you won't read it, and then you'll get hosed because it's going to ask you questions that you won't know the answers to. So do read the chapters. Um, there's a little check your understanding for each chapter. I suggest doing that. That has an answer key. Then there is exercise 1.1. 1.1 has an answer key. You can check your knowledge on that. 1.2, the point .2 versions are the ones you're going to be handing in to me. Okay. So um, 
the first one will be due a week from today, next Tuesday. So that'll give you this weekend to delve into uh, careful reading. This first chapter is pretty straightforward. You, you probably won't take you too much time to actually do this chapter. But I think you'll find that um, you'll uh, get tripped up on some things too. So, And then chapter two gets a little more complex. So you will definitely need to read the chapter for chapter two. Um, and then again, it has uh, some checking your understanding with an answer key and some uh, multiple choice questions and then um, practice and answers to the practice. And then it has another 2.1, which has an answer key. And then the 2.2, which is actually what you'll be submitting, which doesn't have an answer key. Okay? So hopefully that'll be pretty straightforward. Uh, any questions so far on the textbook, the workbook? I'll show you. Yeah, uh, it, you'll actually be able to download it uh, from the course site. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do we have? Do you have to bring the books to class? Uh, generally, no. Some people find it useful if they can use the books while they're in lecture. If you're that kind of person, then it's okay. A lot of what I talk about in lecture, though, isn't actually in the textbook. Um, I consider my lectures um, additional to the textbook. Uh, some of it will cross over, um, and so for some, for some things it might be useful. Or, for example, if you have parts of the textbook, parts of the reading that are confusing to you, you may want to um, go through and um, ask during lecture why, you know, what part of this reading is confusing. And it may be helpful to have it so then you can quote from the reading and I won't have to try to figure out what you're talking about. Yeah. Yep, yeah, question. The exam's going to be based on the book and the lecture? Are the exams based on the book and the lecture? Yes. The first two exams are the midterms. The final will be entirely um, textbook material. But yeah, the uh, lecture uh, will be part of the first two. Good question. Uh, what what are the composition of the exams? Uh, S multiple choice. Um, I think there's 50 multiple choice questions or 60. Uh, there will be some fill in the blank questions and a short answer sort of essay style, which usually only takes you a paragraph or two to answer. Um, the short answer and the fill in the blank are where I usually put the lecture-based uh, questions. And uh, for every exam, I'll be giving you a study guide, which will tell you what uh, topics in the textbook that the questions are taken from, and also um, what topics in the lecture that um, those uh, short answer fill in the blank questions will be covering. Good question. How do I make sense out of this very complex textbook reading? Um, uh, that's a good question. 
Um, uh, what I'll do, what I'll tell you is, um, yes, it's all important. Um, the definitions will be important. Um, and especially on the reading quizzes. A lot of the questions on the reading quizzes tend to be sort of definitional kinds of questions. So as part of your reading, while you're reading the textbook, one of the things that I'll suggest that might be useful, useful for a lot of people is making either flashcards, like if you're a flashcard person, making flashcards, and you can use those flashcards during the um, reading quizzes, or just making a list of um, definitions, words and definitions. Because we're learn, we're going to be one of the things we're going to be doing in this class is learning a very specific vocabulary, which is specific to psychology and specific to science. So um, you do have to pick up some terms and some terminology that are important, um, because later on, especially if you take more advanced psychology courses, uh, it'll rely on your having uh, known that information. Um, some of the questions on the exams will ask you to apply the concepts, though, also. So you'll want to know something deeper than just um, definitions. You'll want to know sort of how these definitions and concepts relate to your own life, how they relate to the world. Start thinking in broader contexts, yeah. 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 I'll talk a little bit more, too, about um, reading the textbook in a second. Other questions? Um, I've got a few more things to cover today, uh, but let's take a break so that I can do a couple of things. Um, I'm going to go back and get some more syllabi for those people who didn't get a copy. And, um, uh, and so let's take a break. Uh, can you be back here by... Um, By about 10 after, it'll be fine. I'll give you about 10 minutes. So. Oh, thank you. Anybody came late that didn't get one of these cards? Okay. Um, what I'd like you to put on these cards is um, at the top, your name. Underneath that, um, what program you're taking. So whether you're in like university transfer or whatever. Uh, any hobbies or pastimes you have, and then um, why you're taking this course. Okay. Um, we'll go back to uh, dealing with the waiting list at that point, and I'll sign everybody's slips and all that kind of thing. Wednesday night is 6 to 10. Yeah. How do I like teaching the 6 to 10 <coughs> class? Well, um, it's exhausting. Um, I wind up taking a lot of breaks. Um, I think it's not an optimal learning environment. Um, but at the same time, it allows me a lot of times to keep everything for one chapter <coughs> in one class session. So it kind of conveniently packages. We're here, I'm splitting s chapters between two uh, class sessions oftentimes. 
Um, so there's some advantages and disadvantages. Um, generally, I would prefer not to. Um, if if you can spread out your learning during the week, um, I'd say that's a good option. If though you have um, you know requirements for your job or whatever that don't allow you to be on campus during the day, then it's a it's a good option. Uh, I've asked to have it be two nights a week for two hours instead of four hours one night a week, but um, that, that's a hurdle that I don't want to jump right now. The administration is uh, a whole nother beast. <laughs> yeah. Um, I handed out to you while you were gone um, an informed consent form. In psychology, uh, one of the things that we have to do to make sure that um, uh, we treat individuals with dignity and respect in our experiments is we have to let them know what an experiment is going to entail and any risks that they might have, you know, any risks to their health or their well-being, and also any benefits that they might accrue from the experiment. And so um, this is an informed consent form that I passed out to you because if you so choose, um, and it's completely voluntary, if you so choose, you uh, can be part mm -hmm. of a national research project that I am part of and that the school is participating in. Last summer, uh, I went to a workshop to uh, learn how to integrate um, psychophysiology laboratory exercises into an introductory psychology course. And um, psychophysiology is how we can measure how emotions and thinking affect bodily states and vice versa. So the interaction between um, emotions, thoughts, feelings, and bodily uh, experiences. So um, what this involves is um, three times during the course we'll have laboratory sessions in here. And uh, if you choose to participate, um, and it's, as I said, completely voluntary, uh, you can be one of the subjects in the experiment. Um, it'll also allow you to contribute um, data toward our understanding of how these exercises and these activities um, benefit students in introductory psychology courses. So what they're going to be doing is um, they'll be looking at, uh, they won't be looking at your specific data, but we'll take an aggregate of how students in these courses do where we're using these methods and other courses where they're not using these methods and see if there's differences, essentially. Um, what I would like you to do between now and Thursday is to read the informed consent form. It'll tell you quite a bit about the um, project and what we're doing, um, what you're going to be required to do, and uh, if you choose to participate, um, I'd like you to sign the student consent form, which is the third page here. Um, if you choose not to participate, put your name on there and write in, um, I do not consent or something like that. Similarly, there's a student photo permission form. Um, I don't 
anticipate taking any pictures in here, but uh, if you if you agree to have your image used, then sign that form also. If for some reason you don't want your image used, um, then go ahead and just say um, that you don't consent. Um, let me show you a, a brief um, video about this project and what we did um, when we were in this project and the kinds of things that we can do with psychophysiology in a, uh, in a laboratory kind of setting like this. Um, and this will help maybe give you a better idea of what um, this is going to actually involve. So let me hit this right. Hopefully the sound is working. Let me make sure. Let's look just at those, spread them out, 
and we're going to use the frequency measurement from the peak of one to the peak of the next. What's the number? Ten. Right in the middle of the alpha channel. Those are real alpha waves. Before we're very interested in addition to these questions into learning about any ideas you may have where this sort of classroom experience working with science and psychophysiology can be connected to the real world, the community, the places where you work. You know, I'll talk a little bit about its application to, you know, something for example like anger management. Assessing uh, things such as reading disabilities, learning disabilities, concentration, comprehension. But if you can get them to understand, and I think this does, that, okay, we can generate seven hypotheses and we can figure out a way to prove or disprove it, I think that would get people more rigor in the way they look at just science in general. Specifically, you're going to need to write a hypothesis that is going to be your, your best guess at what's going to happen when you're operating this um, driving simulator. Each per minute will go up and music will increase their heart rate as well. Uh, the driver will have increased beat per minutes at the beginning until they get used to the driving machine. Okay, you all have your hypothesis done? Great, good work so far. Now I want to remind all of you that you have a paper due on this project one week from today. And uh, a crash occurred, that's why we marked it right here, and then a little bit later on, his heart rate spiked. A little bit after that, uh, the music was turned on, and uh, we noticed that his heart rate slowly, or it continued to increase until the end of it. And we can also conclude uh, from our hypothesis that uh, music may increase the heart rate. And it's science because it's a measurable uh, value. And then uh, towards the end, his heart rate decreased. Maybe that's because his uh, he got used to it or something like that. But those are the things we concluded, and that's what we figured out for the most part. Any other questions? She was nervous at the beginning, and she slowly went down to where she was she was comfortable, and then oop, spiked up where the music was.
scientific way to changes that you had in motions as well. In a very scientific way, it's an old college. And it's science because it's a measurable value. So uh, I'll encourage you to um, participate. Um, if you uh, choose not to um, consent to be part of the actual experiments, you'll still be part of the um, process of learning. So you'll still be part of formulating a hypothesis, um, analyzing the data, um, drawing conclusions from the data that, you're, that we've collected. Um, it's the, all that the uh, consent really is going to affect. Hi, there's one chair back there. Yeah, sure. Um, all that the consent uh, affects for you is whether you will actually be one of the subjects in the experiment or not. Um, there's no risks. Um, as we said, there's no um, electricity used um, for shocking individuals. We don't do that anymore. We used to. That was a lot of fun, but <laughs> ethics, ethics don't let us do that anymore. I'll show you some of this stuff later. Any uh, questions after watching that about the labs, psychophysiology? Yeah. So you're what you're studying Um, yes, the uh, the researchers that are running this project for the National Science Foundation, um, Bob Gephardt and uh, Howard Thorsheim, uh, they're collecting data to see how this kind of integration of psychophysiology uh, activities affects learning in introductory psych courses. Yeah. So um, the more people that participate and consent to participate, the better. The only other thing that you'll do as part of the project, there's a survey that you'll fill out at the beginning of the term and then a survey at the end of the term. And those are online surveys, real easy, simple things to do. <coughs> Any other questions? Oh, oh okay, no worries. Yep. Um, so, anything else? We're not gonna um, we're not gonna actually run a driving simulator experiment, although that looks like a lot of fun. I'm gonna have to see if I can get some budget money to buy a driving simulator for us. Um, we also only have one unit, so um, we're gonna have to collect data as a class um, instead of having individual groups, which would be optimal. If I could put you in like groups of five or six and each of you collect your own data and analyze it, that would be better. But um, at this point, we're in the beginning stages of this. I think it'll be fun, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Um, if you look at the calendar, um, under in-class exercises, in week three is the first lab. And you're going to be doing um, motor neuron recruitment. So basically, we're going to be looking at um, what happens with your muscle fibers and your, your muscle neurons and how um, they're affected by your, um, the intensity of your signals that are coming from your brain to your muscles, how they change. Uh, the second lab is in week seven. 
and we're actually going to be looking at your brain waves um, while you're experiencing different kind of conscious states. And the third one is in week nine, and we're actually going to be looking at uh, reading and how um, reading works, really. Um, how difficulty of reading affects how your eyes move and what kinds of movements they make and how fast they move and that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. They're pretty they're pretty fun. It's fun to be a, one of the participants. I will choose randomly uh, from the class when I do choose the uh, participants usually. Okay. Um, all right. So this is a really, I think, a really fun class. This is one of the few college classes you'll take where you're going to learn as much about yourself as you do about the material that you're studying. But since it's um, something that's probably new to a lot of you, it's not um, going to be easy either. Now, I know all of your instructors <laughs> tell you this, but um, it's really true in this class. Um, first of all, we're talking about a science. And so as a science, psychology is going to have its own vocabulary that you're going to have to learn, its own ways of thinking about um, experimentation, thinking about uh, uh, how to observe behavior and how to measure it. Um, it's going to depend on your ability to make connections between different concepts, right? So, and we're going to be building on concepts. We're going to start out looking at the brain and neuroscience, and then later on we're going to see how that's affected by experience and how development is, uh, is affected by brain and neuroscience. So it's going to be connected. It's not as if you're learning discrete little pieces. You're going to have to make connections along the way. And it's going to also require you to question your own assumptions. A lot of what you think about behavior from an intuitive standpoint is going to turn out to be wrong. And so it's going to ask you to really start challenging the assumptions that you've had already about your behavior and the behavior of others. Um, also, um, as you have noticed in the textbook, it's a thick textbook, you're going to be reading half of it during this quarter. And so there's a lot of reading in this course. Um, and what I'll say is uh, you're going to need somewhere between 8 and 12 hours of time uh, for studying and reading in this course. Um, that's outside of class time, right? So be prepared for quite a bit of work. Um, if you don't do that much work, you can probably maybe get a C or... Uh, uh, but uh, to do well in this course, you'll need to do quite a bit. It's also going to be um, asking you to do critical thinking, but as, we, as I said, we're going to be developing your critical thinking skills using the workbook as we go along through the course. And um, the nice thing is that because you're at a community college, I am devoted to helping you as students. If you were going to a university, say University of Oregon or Oregon State, um, the faculty are too busy doing research to really work with you directly. So take advantage of my availability to you. Um, I have office hours, but I'm also happy to meet with you outside of office hours because I know we all have those busy schedules that don't always fit into my office hours. Um, we're going to have quite a bit of class discussion, um, and that's going to help. And I'll encourage you to form study groups and to uh, work together to learn this stuff better um, because it's not easy. 
and um, and working together is oftentimes really helpful. Um, here's what um, some of my past students have said. Um, take 10 pages of notes per 30 pages of book reading. It worked for me. So essentially that's a page of notes for every three pages of textbook reading. Another student said, uh, keep good track of your book and lecture notes, then use the little tests online that the book offers. Um, and I'll talk to you a little bit about some of the online resources if we have time today, otherwise I'll do it next class. Uh, those tests may not be too much like the actual tests, but they do help in getting to know what you need to look over. So you've got some online resources, like in the form of online quizzes and tests that are going to be able to help you in addition to uh, what you're doing in here in class. Another student said, uh, read the chapters, <laughs> definitely, and take good notes for the quizzes. Take advantage of the quiz score, replacing an exam score. So don't just blow off the quizzes because you think you're going to be a good student. Um, they, uh, they're good insurance to have, so um, uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't pass them up. I'm still collecting that information, so. This may be helpful to some of you who uh, may not be used to reading this intense um, textbook material. First of all, um, when you read the textbook, <coughs> most of us will have the temptation to start at the beginning of the chapter and oops, chapter one and start reading and they'll read down and they'll highlight some things and they'll read down and they'll be highlighting some things and then about page four they'll be like face down in the book fast asleep, right? Um, that's not a particularly effective way to read textbook material. So here's what I'll recommend to you. First of all, um, each uh, topic in, the, in each chapter has a heading, and it's in the form of a question. How accurate is the image of psychology? How did psychology begin? Um, what trends currently shape psychology? So one of the things to do is to kind of get a grasp of what kinds of information the chapter is going to be covering. Um, but even then, I don't, I don't advise that you go in and just jump in and start reading the textbook. Take advantage of the end of the chapter where it has... <coughs> this thing called summary and review. Essentially, that is the chapter summarized. So it's taking all of that um, complex information in the chapter, condensing it down, taking out a lot of the detail, but leaving a lot of the concepts. And what this is going to do is it's going to help you start to form in your mind an idea of what the chapter is going to be talking about. So I would read that second. Um, then go in and start reading all the detail. So you've got the basic information. Now you're going to be filling in from the detail in the chapter, filling in all those gaps in the basic information. Um, while you're reading, you're going to have questions, hopefully, that um, come up. Write those down. They may be answered a little later in the reading or they may not. 
use those as discussion questions in class if it's something you're unclear about. Um, make notes about the concepts that are in here. They're pretty complex concepts. And what I would recommend that you do is take what's in the book, paraphrase it in your own words, right? Change it from the, the author's words into your words and write those down in your notes. And now you're making that information yours instead of the author's. So you're taking ownership of it, right? You're, you're, uh, you're transforming it, and that's really useful to a lot of students. Um, these concepts are oftentimes connected. So maybe making some notes about how these things are connected. How the history of, you know, how Plato's thinking is connected to um, William James, right? Um, sometimes people use diagrams for that. Um, those are like called concept maps or mind maps. Um, so some of you may be familiar with that. If you want help with any of this stuff, let me know and I can meet with you during office hours or uh, during appointments and we can go over some various study tactics if you're finding that you're having trouble with the, um, with the textbook reading. Okay? Um, let me uh, lastly give you a uh, shopping list. Um, you're going to need three uh, Scantron exams, exam forms. These are going to look like <coughs> I usually bring them with me. I forgot today. The 882 are going to be are going to look like this. They're going to be tall and long. This is like a like a half page essentially. And there's going to be uh, 50 questions on each side, so 100 total. There's two sides to it. Don't get the one with 25 questions. That's the wrong one. 50 questions. And then the um, 815e quiz strips. Um, those are going to be shorter, but about the same width, and they're going to be 15 questions. Okay. And I think they're both like 15 cents each. So hopefully it won't break the bank, a buck and a half or so. Um, you'll need a number two pencil to fill those in. Uh, please bring at least one of these next class for the quiz, uh, uh, for the uh, syllabus. Okay. Um, I think that's what I have time for today. Um, I was going to go through some of the electronic resources that are available to you, but I'll do that uh, next class. Um, any questions? What's that? Not now. Not now. You'll have some next class, I hope. Um, so I'll see you on Thursday. Those of you who uh, are on the waiting list or hoping to add, um, come see me and we'll talk about adding you in here. Oh, okay. All right. I'll sit over by the door. All right. Okay, thank you.